Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Huge welcome to Elevation Hills and Penrith today. So great to be with you. And I really pray, and Kathy and I, for all of you through this COVID season, that God's grace, goodness, power will be unleashed in a new measure. God's best days for you and I are still in front of us. We're in week four of a series on worship called More Than Words. I want to read to you a scripture that I know Anna used a few weeks ago, but I want to read it to you again. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I love this because Paul is writing and he's basically saying that uh, worship is not what you do, but worship is who you are. And we have done ourselves a disservice in church world because we say things like, let's stand together and worship. Uh, you know, we have a worship set at the beginning of our gathering together. So we have taught people over the years that worship is the 20 minutes. Back in the day when I first started, it was 40 minutes that, that started the, the service. That kind of was the, the prelude to the preach, which was the real uh, uh, you know, uh, focus of the morning. And the music was the, was the warm up. And so we've taught people that that is worship. But worship, Paul says, is who you are. Worship is the magnification of God and the minimization of ourself. That, that's what it's about. It's, um, you know, it, it's, not an, it's not the worship experience we come to. It's who we are when we come to that moment on a Sunday or midweek. We are worship 24-7. You and I are worship. And so all we do is actually worship. And I've got a couple of verses here. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says it like this. If you oppress poor people, you insult the God who made them. But kindness shown to the poor is an act of worship. So think about this. When you do social justice, when you do something kind for the person next door to the person across the road, when you know someone you haven't seen for a while and you buy them that coffee, it, it, it's actually that generosity is an act of worship. So, so that's who we are you know, when we're generous. In the book of Acts chapter 10, verse 4, you've got this character called, called Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier, one of the first Gentiles to ever come to faith. And in verse 4, it says this, Cornelius stared at him, that's an angel, in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So when you think, again, another great example that, that Cornelius' generosity actually, a memorial offering before God, I mean, that, that is worship. And so worship, as Romans 12, 1 tells us, it's our spiritual service. It's who we are. It's just the way we should be wired and the way we should behave. So, you know, we don't come to a worship experience. We are that worship experience. Church worship is a matter of divine activity rather than human creativity. And again, it's a place where God is moving. And, 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 you know, it should never be about how many people are coming, but it should actually be about what is actually happening in those people 
that, it's, that are coming, that validates it, that Christ is at work amongst us. And that can happen as we come as worshippers of Christ and the activity of the Holy Spirit and life change and, and miracles take place. That is more important than bottoms on seats and attendance figures. What is Jesus doing amongst us? And if he is helping us to be become better vessels of worship, which means that we are becoming more generous, we're becoming kinder, we're becoming more loving, we're becoming more uh, 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 you know, happy and filled with joy, we're speaking well of other people, we're speaking well of ourselves, then that is a great sign that Christ is at work because we are vessels of worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says it like this so whether you are uh, so so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all for the glory of God so again Paul is saying you know eating drinking riding a bike riding a horse yeehaw whatever you do do it in mind that you are a vessel of worship so do it to the glory of God so when we're at work we do it to the glory of God and that's why if you're grumbling at work and you hate your job, it's very hard to do it to the glory of God. And, and so my advice is change your attitude or change your job, but do something so you feel like I can give honor as a vessel of worship to my creator while I'm doing this. There's a, a character by the name of Brother Lawrence. He was a 17th century Catholic monk. And he had the very non-spiritual task of washing dishes in his monastery. Uh, uh, yet through that experience, he discovered some insights into the spiritual life and disciplines and worship. In his most famous short book, and I encourage you to read this, Practicing the Presence of God, he said this, The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. In other words, he says, whether I'm in the kitchen or in a place of prayer, I am a vessel of worship. I am created to bring honor to Christ. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus is asked, what, what's the greatest commandment? And his response, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the essence of worship is the inner treasuring of God as infinitely valuable that everything we do, that's where worship flows from, this sense of God, you are more valuable than anything else in my life. And that's why that, that the, the work of God inside of us, when God is doing a deep work in us, it will come out and remind us and it'll come out in the form of worship in all that we do. So please, I want to challenge us today. Don't see worship as something that you go to. See it as who you are. Because if it's something that you go to, it's just as easy to be something that you leave. And that's why, you know, people leave churches. Well, I don't like the worship. It's the wrong concept here. You are worship. And our hearts are like a compass. 
And I love the symbol of a compass uh, because our hearts are like that. You know, and when we know our true north and our true north is Christ, it's amazing how the compass of our world always leads us and wants to lead us to our true north. But if our true north isn't Christ, and if the center of, our, of what we infinitely value in our life isn't Christ, then, then our life is drawn that way and our compass will lead us in a way that may not be represented in a life of worship. If the orienteering metaphor of the heart as a compass doesn't quite resonate and I want you to think about what theologian Bruce Springsteen wrote and sung about many years ago. Everybody's got a hungry heart. And right now I could break out a Bruce Springsteen hit that would have you all standing in applause, but I'm going to withhold it for another moment. But everybody has a hungry heart. And Bruce Springsteen know it. Scripture teaches it that everything grows from the inside out. Nothing grows from the outside in. And so it's where our heart is pointing in our life that will dictate whether our life is a life of worship. And your compass and the compass of our life, God's desire is for us to find our true north and that true north is Christ. And when He is of infinite value in our life, it's amazing how everything else around it affects the way we parent, it affects our marriage, it affects our singleness, it affects you as an employer, as an employee, it affects your social life, what you post on Instagram. Let me tell you right now, what you post on social media, that tells a lot about the compass of our heart and where our heart is pointed. Psalm 42 uses this hunger as a metaphor uh, uh, of picturing our deepest needs. Psalm 42 verses 1 to 2 says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul, my soul, my inner world pants for you, my God. Let me just just dial back. I want to read this a little bit slower. I'm going to take step out of preacher mode right now. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you just want to take a deep breath right now and allow this scripture to really be inhaled and absorbed in your world this morning or tonight. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 42, such powerful, powerful words as David writes about his heart, having this this thirst, his soul, his inner world, having this longing, in the same way a deer or some animal or you and I at times have, have been so uh, parched because we've, we've desired uh, 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 water 
in the same way that our soul, that our heart wants to find our true north and our true north being Jesus, our true north having a relationship with Him where our whole heart is pointing that way that it affects our life in such a way that, that it echoes and ripples into our family and our loved ones and our colleagues because our heart is pointing to our true north. But the truth be told, evidence in my life often tells me that what I think I want my life and my lifestyle betrays those very things. And I want, though, my heart to be a heart that echoes Psalm 42. I often look, though, in my life and go, where I'm spending my money, it isn't a life that represents worship. The way I'm talking, the way I reference other people isn't a life that actually says that I value Christ over all other things. My attitude towards gathering together on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night sometimes isn't an attitude that represents my life and my heart is pointing true north towards Christ. You know, the word worship actually comes from an old English phrase called worth shape. And it implies that the object of worship will necessarily shape us and shape our worth in a comprehensive way. So what it is that we are worshipping, actually we take on that image and it shapes us. It shapes our lifestyle. You know, uh, we, we've all done it. You, you, you want to buy something. You want to, uh, you know, feed a new habit of, you know, uh, whether it be, you know, to, to purchase something on eBay or Gumtree or Marketplace. And, and you and I know what it's like that, that, well, actually, I shouldn't generalize. I know what I'm like. And when I get fixated on something, I will research. I will, I will check every site to see what the, the bargain price is and what is the maximum amount I should be paying and what's the minimum and the different variants of what I want to buy. I mean, I get obsessed about it. But it's amazing how that almost fills all the quiet moments in your mind get filled with what it is that your compass is pointing toward. And that's when we know that maybe something has taken place in our life that Christ should be filling because the quiet moments in our life become filled with all of these other things that we are worshipping other than Christ. Now, those things aren't bad. I am not saying that at all. I think me buying a new saddle for my horse is a good thing. But here's the thing. If it is filling my mind, shaping my and pointing my compass to be my true north, and if it is affecting my life financially, family-wise, connection-wise, relationship with Christ, to, and I am fixated on getting that new saddle for my horse, then there is a chance that it is actually shaping my life in a comprehensive way because I am valuing it more than anything else. And so it's not a point of saying that's good and that's bad. It's just a matter of saying, understand that Christ must stay the thing that we value the most. Our object of worship will always be the primary influence of our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, and of course, eventually our lives. Psalm 33 verse 8 says this, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. And as we draw to a close in this time today, there's a lot of things that we could talk about 
when it comes to worship. And my primary goal today is one is to let you and I know that we are worship. We just don't come and do worship. Everything about you and everything you do is worship in some form. And my goal is to let Christ and to make Christ our primary goal in that. And one of the ways we do that is also understanding that, you know, when Psalm 33 verse 8 says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. It reminds me that we really have an awe problem. You know, I can stand in awe of a great movie. Oh, that was amazing. I can have a remarkable cup of coffee and go, that was one of the best cups of coffee I have ever had. But sometimes I have to remind myself that daily, daily in my life, I need to stop and be in awe of who God is. Isn't that why we love a walk along the beach at sunset or sunrise? Isn't that why we love going to a rainforest somewhere and having a hike? Isn't that why if you've had the joy of hearing the laugh of a, of a small baby, it just fills our heart uh, uh, or a family dinner with, or a, a dinner with friends and it, it, there's so much joy at the table. We have moments that are meant to remind us of the greatness of God. There is no purchase and no person that can fill our life with the wonder that God promises Author and pastor John Piper said this, If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a streetlight. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. Where we look for awe will shape the direction of our life. If you're single here today, there is no man or woman that can fill this place of awe in your world. And we may think that we need someone to fill it, but that expectation will kill a relationship. God wants to be our true north. And our heart as a compass needs to be pointed in that direction. In Acts chapter 2, verse 43, often quoted when, when the Holy Spirit was moving in a magnificent way in the early church. And people say, we need to, to reinstate and rediscover you know, the, the, what, what happened in the early church. We need it for today. And, and I totally agree. But it was all around this thought of awe. In verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So there was this sense when people were together, just the majesty, the greatness, the bigness of God was always first and foremost. It was their true north in their hearts. And so when they came together, they didn't come together to worship. They came together as vessels of worship that had the awe of God around them. And God showed up and did amazing things. Could you imagine whether it be a Sunday service, a small group gathering, when you have coffee with friends, when you're at home by yourself, but there is a sense of awe around us that just says, God, you are magnificent. I thank you. I love you. Thank you for what you've done. And with a heart of gratitude, we begin to list or recite the things 
things that God has done for us. Could you imagine that if hundreds of us every week decided to, to allow our hearts again to point true north to the majesty of God, of this, this deep value we have for Him. Could you imagine what could happen when we gather together? It is limitless what God could do. Every awesome thing in creation is designed to point you to the one who alone is worthy of capturing and controlling the awe of our searching and hungry heart. In Romans 1.25, we see the result of a generation of people who never allowed their hearts to be captured by the awe of Jesus. It says this, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Horizontal awe was meant to do one thing, stimulate vertical awe. That's the whole point. That's why when you go for a rainforest hike, it's not to be like saying, oh, this is just amazing. Look at these beautiful trails. Look at these great trees. It's meant to stimulate to the Creator that God's vision for humanity to place a rainforest, a beach, a sunset, a sunrise, a laughing baby, a loved one, a great friend in your world is meant to point us to this vertical awe that says, God, thank you for what you've done. And that's why grumbling in a Christian's life is such a destructive power. And we don't just have complaining problems. We actually have an awe problem. We don't just have a resource problem or a location problem. We just don't have a situation problem, a person problem, a suffering problem, a fairness problem, a money problem, a church problem, a marriage problem, a singleness problem, an employment problem, a parental problem, a life difficult problem, a neighbour problem. And yes, sure, we have issues that come up and challenge us, but at the core, we have a awe problem. And when we lose sight, of the majesty of God and that we are a vessel designed to worship Him and everything we do in our life brings honour to Him when we lose sight of that and our hearts are no longer pointing through north, we then create a complaining problem. Awlessness uses outward stimulation to fabricate, fabricate a celebration. Let me read that to you again. Awlessness uses outward stimulation to fabricate a celebration. And basically, when we're lacking that awe, and the musicians can come, but when we're lacking that awe in our life, let me tell you, we have to do everything we can to stimulate the joy to stimulate the sense of fulfillment in life. We're looking for it every way. And that's why for some of us, we'll go from relationship to relationship because we're looking for what that is that's going to stimulate uh, um, joy and, and, and pleasure and purpose in my life. And I want to say to all of us today that you and I are vessels of worship. You were created to worship God. You were designed to worship God. And when we don't know that and when our hearts are steering anything else but our true north and worshiping something else and we'll know it because our time, our treasure, our talents go there to make that happen. It is a false stimulation because we're lacking this sense of awe about how great God is. 
And so today, I want to make a moment and an opportunity for anyone today. And you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And today as you hear me, that, that you're questioning, do I really know this God? You know, I've never felt that way about God. And maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Then today is the perfect opportunity to position your heart to your true north and say, God, I want to become that person of worship. And I'm going to pray a really simple prayer today. And I'd love you to repeat this prayer uh, uh, with me. You can say it from your heart. You can say it out loud. It doesn't really matter how you say it. It's a word of sincerity. It's a prayer of sincerity to surrender our life to the life of Christ. And I'd love you just to close your eyes right now and repeat this after me. Jesus, today, I give you my life. Help me to become the vessel of worship that I was designed to be. In Jesus' name, amen.